Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. On today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Carl Sakis, who works with creative agencies, uh, dev shops, digital agencies, that kind of business as a, uh, a coach and uh, an executive coach and a, and a consultant. And the purpose of this conversation was for a series of, of content, I sort of hate that word, but you know, a, a series of episodes that I will be publishing over the coming weeks and months that I'm calling Moving the Needle. These Moving the Needle segments are conversations with people who, in their business as consultants or software developers or coaches or whatever it is they do, they are moving the needle on behalf of their clients. They're doing so typically with expertise that they've developed as a result of vertical positioning. So these interviews will show up semi-regularly again in the coming weeks and months on this show. And it's really driven by my desire to um, shed some more light on how exactly this whole vertical specialization thing works. How is it that you could pick a, a you know a market vertical and from that starting point develop expertise that is exceptionally valuable and produces a um, you know a significant or exceptional economic result for your clients? I think these stories need to be told more because. From the outside, it's kind of opaque how this whole thing actually works. And so, again, these Moving the Needle episodes are my effort to, um, to start telling those stories so that those of you who are currently generalists or aspiring to be the kind of consultant that can produce these re- kinds of results for your clients, have um, you can kind of inhabit what it's like for a moment or for 30 minutes at a time to to be able to produce these kind of results for your clients and what kind of thinking goes along with that, what kinds of decisions have to be made, sometimes difficult, not uh, courageous decisions that have to be made along the way. That's that's really the goal of these segments. So hope you enjoy the conversation with Carl Sakis today. Carl Sakis, welcome to the show. Philip, great to be here. Okay, so let's start with this. Um, Carl, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? And who are you? Who, do you? who are you? And what do you do? Let's start with that. It's like, it's like office space. What do you say you do here? <laughs> I, I am a management consultant and executive coach specializing in helping agencies, helping the agency owner take control of their business by eliminating growing pains. So when your services really move the needle for a client, what does that look like? There's typically a financial impact, higher profit margins. If a client is planning to sell their agency, it's helping them lay the groundwork, get the fundamentals in better shape, so they actually can sell. I have other clients who want to run their business for the rest of their career, at least their foreseeable future. And in that case, it's getting their salary to market rate and getting profit margins to a sustainable level. So there's definitely a financial component around profitability. Mm-hmm. And usually there are some less tangibles related to reducing stress and getting rid of the work they don't want to do in running your agency. So you're vertically specialized in agencies. How, yes. how did you end up there? Like, How did that specialization come about? My most recent work was as the head of business operations at two agencies, one and then another. So I was overseeing things like project management, 
client service, recruiting, finance, and marketing for the agencies themselves. Uh, if you look further back, back in high school, I learned HTML, started mm-hmm. building websites for small businesses and nonprofits, and realized that I was better at helping people solve business problems than at design. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fast forward, uh, you know, working in agencies and operations and put all of that together in 2013 to start my, my business helping agencies. So you, you said you, you at some point realized you were better at helping businesses than design. Um, a, a lot of listeners are wanting to find that moment in their own business. Like a lot of my audience are some sort, sort of generalist now. They're trying to figure out how to make this journey to some sort of specialization. And they're aware that uh, some of the people who make the big bucks are providing advice or helping their clients make their businesses better. So how did that, how did that realization happen for you? I think some of it evolved over time. Uh, and, and then other pieces were, were perhaps innate. I, I'm the oldest of five kids. So the idea of getting paid to tell people what to do is is appealing. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm the oldest. Yeah. Of four. <laughs> ah, there, there we go. There we go. Uh, you know, an, an area where that, uh, you know, where, where I honed that, I spent several years at a social impact mutual fund after college working mm-hmm. in New York. And one of my roles there was as a research analyst. So I was making buy or sell recommendations to hundreds of companies in every industry. And part of my job was to, we, we were generalists in that sense. Uh, and I would dive in as we were focusing each quarter on several several industries. And I had to quickly determine, did they meet our standards or not? We had certain social and environmental standards. And in some cases, it was pretty clear. You know, it was unlikely for a coal mining company to meet our standards. Right. Uh, the company was doing wind turbines. They'd have to be doing a lot of bad things to not get approved. Right. Uh, but really, it became a case where you've got some someone who's in a mixed kind of a mixed scenario, uh, say if you're looking at McDonald's. Uh, on one hand, there are issues around industrial agriculture and around marketing to children. Uh, on the positive side, they've made a lot of changes. And when McDonald's makes changes, it impacts millions of people. And so that became a case where, using fast food as an example, generally McDonald's was receptive to making improvements in contrast, some other brands were kind of like, mm, no, like we, we don't mm-hmm. care. Our focus is making money. Uh, and so that was a case where it was mixed, but ultimately at the time, you know, this is, you know, a decade ago, uh, you know, said, okay, yes, we're going to, we're going to approve that. You have to make decisions quickly and with limited information. Mm. And you have to be willing to say, yes, this is the direction. So my, my advice is is nuanced. It's based on each client's values, goals, and resources. But ultimately, I have to make a definitive recommendation. Mm-hmm. So kind of flipping to the other side of the table, you work with clients who, some of which I, I imagine must be struggling with this, this sense of like, who am I to uh, be a business advisor? Like, I'm a, we're a design firm. Who are we to make business recommendations? Do you see that in your work? I, I imagine you must from time to time. I do. And and I would say that it typically happens for agencies that where, where the owner comes from a design background or potentially comes from a development background. 
it's less common if people have a marketing marketing strategy background. Right. So I think that's baked in that you're making these these business decisions. Right. However, if 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 you were to look into it, you know what what is design? Design is solving problems with limited there are certain constraints with limited resources. You know, we're trying to accomplish this. Here's what we have to keep in mind. What, what's the best way to do that? I mean, that is solving a business problem. So I think a lot of people are solving business problems without realizing that that's perhaps the, the label. Yeah, right. That's a good, that's a good point. I, th- I think maybe you answered the questions I was about to ask, which is, is there something that you see that helps people have that mental shift from no, we're just a designer or no, we're just an expensive pair of hands to, Oh, we do have a business impact for our clients and we can embrace that and run with it. I think it's sometimes in some cases it's where their clients have pointed out business impacts that the agency owner hadn't thought about, Uh you know, they were thinking, Oh, well we did such and such. Uh, you know, say on the development side, developing a some sort of tool or automation, mm-hmm. and you know the agency was thinking or developer was thinking, well, okay, they're trying to accomplish this. So I'm going to use this or that technology. Uh, blah blah blah. It's done, and then the client is coming back to them saying, uh, you know, doing that new thing has helped us free up fifty thousand dollars in something or other, or this helped us. You know, we had someone who's spending half their time on this. Now they have all of this extra time that they can do on more strategic things. And now in that case, you could think, well, what's the, what is the salary and, and benefits on half of a full-time person at, mm-hmm. at a particular level? Now you've got a business impact. Sometimes it helps to, to hear clients point that out, that you're not seeing yourself. Right. Right. Um, do, do you ever see agency owners realize that that's a mindset limitation that they have to fix and, and sort of take a more proactive stance to it? Sometimes. Uh, and I think a lot of this comes down to your level of self-awareness mm-hmm. and the degree to which you're trying to enhance that. Uh, I had a client where we had worked together a few years ago and he had decided to discontinue services. And I, I later learned that that was part of needing to cut a million dollars in expenses mm. over the, the coming year. Right. Um, hadn't quite followed all of my advice on some things, uh-huh. uh, but I, I got a follow up a couple years later and, and it was sort of a version of you, you told me so I should have listened the first time. And the, the comment, uh, the comment that he made was that he was sharing the story about what he had been through. Uh, this is related to hiring the wrong person uh, internally uh, saying, you know, to share that, if I could help save other leaders from getting in their own way. I think it's it's easy for anyone to to get in our own way. Right. And that's why we need help from other people to call us out. So let me, um, let me interrogate you a little more. <laughs> sure. So let's, con- uh, to the best that we can, let's con- sort of contrast you with someone who thinks of themselves as a, you know, you, you said business consultant, um, executive coach, those were some, some kind of labels that you applied to yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And let's compare you to someone like that, but that person we're comparing you to has never worked with 
the types of clients you have in your vertical. So agencies, companies, you know, selling creative services. What are thing, the types of things that you know from experience that they probably would not know? What, what have you learned from focusing on the same type of client over and over for years and years? One is benchmarking. So the idea of what are some typical numbers, typical ranges. So when I'll have a sales conversation, doing an exploratory call, my goal is that I'm not providing free advice, like mm-hmm. free specific advice for the situation, but I will share benchmarking examples. Mm-hmm. For instance, my client concentration cutoff, that is more revenue from a single client, more than 20%. Mm-hmm. If you're getting more than a fifth of your, your business from a single client, you're at risk. Uh, you know, you could also look at profit margins. You could look at revenue per FTE. There, there are a number of things. Uh, one, of, one of the articles that gets a lot of inbound traffic is related to team structure. I have several of them, but one is around when do you hire a project manager? And my default for that is typically you hire a PM between 8 and 12 people. Mm-hmm. So I can include that as an example if someone either has hired early or late or on track uh, having that, I think, is reassuring for people to hear rather than, oh, PM, okay, great, move, you know, move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so benchmarking is an important one. Uh, having examples of similar agencies that have had similar challenges. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone is in a unique situation, but there are a lot of similarities. So having those examples, I, I had had a few client calls earlier today And in the third call, I was able to use an example, anonymized, of course, from the first call of the day. Interesting. And so the the idea is is that compared to a generalist coach or a generalist consultant, I'm not reinventing the wheel every time. Right. So uh, I, I, I sometimes struggle to remember that so many of these benefits, as you're laying them out, have like I can sort of do the mental calculus and see how that benefits your business. But I, I want to ask what might feel like a dumb question to longtime listeners, but mm-hmm. how does that make your business better? And to clarify, how does that make my business better as a exactly. consultant or how does it make my, my clients businesses better? I mean, it certainly it, it helps both. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, let's tackle both in whatever order you please. Yeah, well, let's talk a bit more about the client benefit in the sense that I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm able to quote things more accurately so people don't uh, don't get surprised about, oh, well, you know, we didn't scope that out right, so we need more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend worked for an agency a number of years ago where apparently their MO was quote a project and then get to you know, use up all the budget and then tell the client that, oh, we need another $15,000 to launch. Mm. I mean, it's a terrible way of doing business. And there are clients that I refuse to work with. Uh, That's, you know, that kind of practice would be an example of that. Right. Uh, But certainly getting things done faster. I, I can ask questions that I know cut to the heart of what's going on and, we get to the right answer faster rather than having to spend weeks or months figuring out the questions. I'm, I'm always figuring out new questions to ask, 
but not at the at the basic level. I also have models that I can use to explain things. For instance, had a one of the calls earlier today. One of the things the client was struggling with was how do we get bigger clients? Their current retainer clients are around three thousand dollars a month now, and they're saying, "Well, how would we get to twenty thousand dollars a month?" Hmm. Uh, and of course, it's going to take some time, and there are a number of changes they need to make, both marketing and delivery wise. But we were looking at at some differences, and I, I said there are tiers of strategy that your clients need. You know, at the highest level, there's business strategy. Then there's integrated marketing strategy, then digital marketing strategy, followed by channel strategy, say SEO versus PPC, and then finally campaign level strategy. Here's the campaign. How do we get it done? And so one of the decisions that agencies need to make if they're involved in on the marketing side is what are the tiers in strategy they're going to focus on? And I was able to use that model in another meeting last week doing a client on-site, and I've used it before that. I, I still need to write the article on it. That, that's pending. Right. Interesting. Okay. So um, this is, those are all under the umbrella of you helping your clients get better results. In terms of what's been beneficial for your business, wh- where do you see the benefits there? All over. Okay. Uh, you know, if we if we were thinking about the, uh, you know, the, the various components, marketing is easier. People, uh, more than one person, has said something like, "I saw your article on such and such." You know, like my blog post on something. It's like you wrote it just for me. Hmm. And of course, I didn't write it directly for them, but I wrote it for the the persona related to, to owning an agency. Yeah. and independent agency in particular. Uh, and, and so it was as if I did write it for them. Uh, so reading that, the idea of like, oh, he gets me, uh, that, you know, that, that, that makes marketing easier. Right. Uh, it also makes it easier to identify where to speak, uh, where to reach out to on guest posts, uh, PR activities, things like that. It's just a lot easier. Uh, so marketing is easier. Sales is easier. You know, if a, no one has ever asked me this, but, you know, sort of a, well, have you worked with an agency like mine before? Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, at at this point, it's hundreds of agencies since, since 2013. And so I have examples and of course everyone's different, but uh, it it isn't like at at one point when I was a PM at an agency, a sales prospect who's running a law firm said, well, how many other law firms have you made? uh, Law firm websites have you made? Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I think at the time our, our salesperson was leading the call and I think he was, was like, well, we've done two. Uh, but then he had to sort of tap dance around to say, but here's the transferable things we've done from the other work we've done. Right. As opposed to, have you ever done this before? Uh, so, sale, you know, sales is, is easier. Um, certainly in cases where clients ask for references and not everyone asks for references, um, but I can connect them to someone running an agency similar to theirs, similar in life cycle, similar in headcount. Um, you know, so that that's that's easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just also from a scoping perspective, uh, you know, at, at the moment my primary services are coaching, which is a monthly retainer, a mix of email and phone support. 
and consulting projects. That's, you know, someone's at a major turning point. They're not sure where to go next to help them create a plan to get there and map out both the strategy and, and the implementation items. Uh, that just makes it easier rather than, well, you know, it's going to take a month to scope that out and get back to you and, and what have you. Right. Uh, so that's easier. Delivery is easier uh, in that I, I work with agencies all the time. It's, it's the idea, for instance, that an agency owner is getting pulled in a lot of directions is not a surprise to me. Uh, you know, typically getting pulled by their clients depending on how big they are and how much they've delegated client contact uh, by their internal team, by people who are trying to sell to them. Uh, you know, so, so understanding that helps me communicate better and figure out what's the best way to get in touch with someone. Uh, you know, and, and so, you know, those are certainly the biggest areas around marketing sales and delivery. Uh, but you know, certainly other pieces too. Imagine I'm, you really didn't mean everything. I'm trying to think. Okay, but, you, did, you didn't mention bookkeeping. That's about the only major area of the business that you did not mention. <laughs> well, and and on the coaching side, at this point, almost all of my clients are on auto bill. Right. Uh, I, I have a number of clients who prepaid for a portion or, or all of the year right. coaching. Uh, but for the the auto bill clients, you know. They've got a million things to worry about. The idea of getting an invoice, logging the invoice to their accounting software, paying the invoice, no fun. So they do need to pay the initial invoice manually and they can pay it via credit card. But after that, I'm able to make the case for doing auto bill. And I think I've had only one person who said they'd rather do it manually. Uh, So knowing that people are getting pulled in a million directions is, is helpful. Yeah, indeed. Let's, I'm not sure how this is going to play in audio. I I want you to try to describe, if you could graph your expertise over time, you know, just, just all the stuff that you've been describing in terms of benefits is driven by, I think, I think you would agree, just an accumulation of expertise in, in the same vertical. And if you were to graph that over time, what would that look like? Is it just a sort of a straight line up and to the right, or is it more of a kind of S curve or what would you say? You think of it, you know, in in Silicon Valley startups, there's the idea of hockey stick revenue. You know, it's kind of flat initially and then suddenly it rockets upward. I would say that it's, it's sort of the flip of that. It goes up really fast, really Uh quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it, it continues increasing. Um, I would say that there's not something, I'm not constantly learning something totally new that I've never seen before every day. Mm-hmm. I, I'm learning new things on a regular basis and, and certainly both from clients and through reading and studying. Uh, for instance, I am reading a book right now on the history of the strategy consulting industry since the early 1900s. Uh, so it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I also read a lot of biographies of different historic leaders, uh, you know, re- figure what, what can I learn from them? And then how can I use that to help clients? Right. Uh, and then I also do, you know, I coach clients, but I have my own coach. I am suspicious of someone who is a coach, 
yet who does not have a coach themselves. Right. Because lack perspective on, on ourselves. Although I suppose if you think about that, well, who's, who's coaching that eventual coach? Uh, I, I guess it, you know, however, however it, it loops <laughs> back. Co- coaches point. all the way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it grows pretty quickly. Uh, and, and then it, and then it slows down, but it continues to grow. Right. So if you gave that a time component, what did the period of rapid growth look like? And, and I'm aware that I'm not at all saying like, oh, you're, you're getting lazy, Carl. You, you've stopped learning. It, it, it doesn't sound like that. No. What, what it sounds to me like is at some point this, this area, this domain that you're in was new, relatively new to you. I mean, at some point it was brand new and then it was kind of relatively new and then it wasn't as new. And so I think it's very natural that any learning curve it would sort of taper off at some point or, or stop accelerating at the same rate. So anyway, where, where, how long was the period of like really rapid learning? Definitely the first year. Okay. And, and it did help that I had experience in digital marketing since high school. So the right. idea of digital was like, well, of course, at one point someone said, when did you get into, or how long have you been in digital marketing? And I'm like the whole time (laughs) (laughs) I I was doing web design when it was dial up and IE three, you know, and it was, you know, designing for a 640 by 480 monitor. And I was thrilled when eventually enough people had 800 by 600 monitors that I could add an extra hundred pixels of width to what I was, I was designing. It was very, very exciting. Uh, but yeah, that, that idea, I think in the, so I, I already knew digital and I already had the experience working at the first agency and then the second agency. I, if you think about the idea of diminishing returns, that this comes up in Jakob Dielsen's writing on user testing, uh, where, you know, the question I'll get a lot is how many people should I have in a usability study? Uh, and I, I just brought up the article. He said, the answer is five, except when it's not. Uh, most arguments for using more test participants are wrong, but some tests should be bigger and some smaller. Yeah. I mean, talk, talk about a hedging kind of answer. But his point is that after five, each additional person is not adding that much compared to what you've gotten already. So if I think about it, my experience in-house at one agency, then another, each had different ways of doing things. Uh, then, you know, working with the next one and the next one and the next one, the the growth rate does slow down, you know, the thing we talked about there. So I, I would say the, the first year, you know, thinking for, for people listening, if you're thinking of specializing, well, you should. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't pick a specialty that's too narrow, that has, you know, like two customers in the world. Right. Do not specialize in aerospace manufacturing. <laughs> Read an article about how uh, Boeing has all of these programs to squeeze their suppliers for things. Mm. Uh, and it, you know, it generally sounded like a, like a terrible situation, but you know, if, if you make jet engine components, well, of course they're sourcing jet engines, but you know, there aren't that many people in the world who are going to buy that thing. Right. Yeah. Fortunately, most of us are not making jet engine components. <laughs> you know, you mentioned um, a, a sample size of five, in user testing, and that struck me because I don't know if have you read the book "How to Measure Anything" by Douglas Hubbard. I think I, I know of it. I, I don't think I've I've read it. There's a striking uh, similarity with what he calls the rule of five, uh, 
I, I have notes on this. It's not from memory here, but I just looked it up. There's a 93.75% chance that the median of a population is between the smallest and largest values in any random sample of five. Hmm. I, w- I wonder if there's something going on or, or the same principle is at a play with that recommendation about user testing. Anyway, I just found that interesting. And uh, maybe maybe the, the argument is don't overcomplicate things. Right, right. Well, it, it, I, I think you might enjoy this book. I don't know. Um, but the whole idea is we overestimate the need for precision and s- sample sizes because we think we're writing a, a peer-reviewed scientific paper. And in business, we're, we're just trying to reduce uncertainty most of the time. And it doesn't take a ton of data to do that. There's an excellent classic Fast Company article called They Write the Right Stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from 1996. This is about the team that wrote the software for the space shuttle. Ah. And they talk about their whole process to, to basically make bugs nearly non-existent uh-huh. compared to commercial software. And one of the key things is they basically pit the development team and the QA teams against each other. And eventually it became the point that the QA team was trying to find errors. The dev team was working as hard as possible to keep the errors from getting in in the first place because they didn't want to get caught by the QA team. Uh, But it is worth considering that, you know, that is a bake it or break it situation. You've got to get it right. Yeah, for sure. Big, big consequences there. Exactly. So how much of the value that you create for clients is created by what you might call strategy, however you define that? And how much is by execution of that strategy? In the consulting or coaching relationship, I'd say it's 80% strategy, 20% implementation. Mm-hmm. When it comes to clients making it happen, it's probably the opposite. Right. You need the right strategy. You need the right direction. But then you have to keep executing on it. Right. The, the model I use is think, teach, do. That is, think, strategy, teach, training, and do implementation. I, I think implementation sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, it, it people want to do strategy, generally, or eventually they want to do strategy. But without implementation, you can't make it real. So right. I'm, I'm generally not... The implementation I might do for clients is things like scheduling a reminder about a monthly goal. Or they mentioned they were going to do something, and I, I check in with them. You know, that, that's sort of a tactical thing, but it's designed to unlock their progress on their strategic goals. Mm. So I'm assuming um, that you create sort of eyebrow-raising moments, maybe daily, maybe minute by minute for your clients, but at least occasionally. Mm. What, what does that look like in practice? Are there, you know, particularly memorable times when that's happened that you could talk about? Yeah, I, I actually build that into my process. At the beginning of each call, I'll ask, what would make today's call a success? Mm -hmm. Because it's not about me. It's how would they, as a client, how would they define success? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the call, I check in to confirm that we met their goal. Uh, And I also ask, what were your top takeaways from today? And one one of the calls earlier today was a client who does web development and web design for clients, yet has been struggling to relaunch her own website. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of the shoemaker's kids problem. Uh, you know, and it's been going on for, for months. 
I mean, it, it, it's going into a new calendar year at, at this point. And the thing that she realized from our discussion was that she'd over-delegated. She'd mm-hmm. handed things off to her team, but it was important enough for her to own the process herself. The other item was that it was time to raise her prices. And we mm-hmm. talked about that last year and she's now ready. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, um, Carl, thank you. This, thank you for sharing what it is like to have the kind of expertise you have and move the needle for clients the way you do. I am. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I, you know, if we can persuade more people to take the leap, and I, I realize it's scary, yeah. you know, and, uh, but Philip, I know you have a whole process to help people sort it out uh, and, and reduce the risk around it. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm certainly a fan of specialization, given that I've built Zekas and Company around specialization in, in agencies and sort of further than that. Uh, so I'm, I'm certainly a fan. So how could folks uh, connect with you, find out more, ask follow-up questions that this may have spurred for them? Visit my website, sakisandcompany.com. That's S as in Sam, A-K-A-S, the word A-N-D, and the word company.com. You could also follow me on Twitter, at Carl Sakis. That's Carl with a K, K K-A-R-L-S-A-K-A-S. Would love to hear from people. I've got a lot of free resources on my site at this point, over 250 articles. And if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get my ebook, which is called Don't Just Make the Logo Bigger, Taking Clients from Painful to Profitable. I love that title. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Makes me laugh every time. Okay. (laughs) Carl, thanks again. Philip, great to be here.